Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for the encouragement that we see in your word. Would you just speak to us now? Amen. Uh, I have a question for you that I want you to think about and consider as we open up God's word today. Uh, The question is for you, what are the words or what is the phrase that you want to hear the most? What is it that that you and your ears and your heart and your mind, what is it that you want to hear more than anything else? Judy and I uh, are leading a Ruta group this fall, and she asked that question of our group a couple of weeks ago. Uh, And it was interesting to hear the answers to that question. It was interesting that for many of us, the answers that we had were not just what the words were, but also who we wanted to hear them from. We wanted to hear, I love you, from our kids. We wanted to hear job well done from a boss. I'm proud of you from a parent. You were right from a spouse. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Nobody said that. I did think it, but. What words do you want to hear the most? I I mentioned before um, our desire, our longing to hear what every parent wants to hear. Uh, We want our son to say our names. Uh, He uh, still has not uh, said any words yet. He prefers to scream, uh, but I have to share that it is uh, looking like uh, my desire for him to say dada before mama is not going to happen. Um, he has uh, multiple times said something that sounds really, really close uh, to mama, and he's not even in the neighborhood of dad. And so first I had to deal with that he's basically Judy's clone, and now he's going to say her name first, and so I'm just struggling today, but it's fine. But I've been thinking about that, though, um, as we finish our series this weekend that we've been in throughout the fall, and as we consider something today that I believe God wants to and longs to and loves to hear perhaps most from his children, as we look to the way of gratitude. We've been in this series for the last 10 weeks. We've been calling it The Way. We've been studying different things about these early Christians, these people of the way that set them apart, as we consider what it is that should set us apart in our world today. If you were here last week, you might remember uh, we had a guest speaker, John Dixon, join us, and he shared with us about the way of justice. The way of justice, this idea from the Beatitudes that justice is made up of our care for the needy and our hunger for righteousness, and our showing of mercy, and also our recognition that we too are in need of mercy that makes up this way of justice. If you missed that, it's definitely a message you want to go back and watch online. He had so many good things to say, and he had a cool accent, so it was great. But today I want to close our series with what's probably a very appropriate topic for the Sunday before Thanksgiving as we look to this way of gratitude. Way of gratitude. What does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to live a grateful life? What does it mean to be marked by gratitude? Why does it matter that we even are grateful? Is it possible to be grateful even when it seems like we have nothing to be grateful for? To answer these questions, we'll be turning our attention to Luke chapter 17. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me there. As we look to a story that might be familiar to some of us, uh, often referred to as the story of the ten lepers. The ten lepers. This is Luke chapter 17. We'll start in verse 11. It says this, 
On the way to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. This is uh, something, I think this story uh, is one of those stories that we probably have a little bit more understanding of, at least compared to our pre-COVID versions of ourselves, especially when it comes to this disease, this idea of having leprosy. I remember uh, being in an airport right around the end of February 2020, and it was the first time that I saw someone wearing a face mask, and I was like, what are they doing? (laughs) I'd never heard the term socially distanced I remember thinking how weird this all was, how it was probably all going to blow over. I think maybe I was wrong. But think about just how quickly we learned so many new things and adjusted so many ways about the way that we lived our lives. I didn't shake somebody's hand for a year and a half. We were cleaning our groceries. Do you remember that? Stores tried to make their aisles into one-way streets, but none of us did it, so they just gave up. We just adjusted so many things about our way of living, and I get it, it was new, and we were trying to be careful and trying to figure all this out. But these precautions, I think, give us maybe just a little bit of insight and understanding about what's going on here in the story. We see this, that as Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem, these ten people with leprosy approach him. Now, in Jewish culture, there was almost nothing as bad as getting leprosy. It was this condition of both the skin and the nerves, where it would cause disfigurement to the skin and also nerve damage, oftentimes to the point of not even being able to feel pain. And so Jewish law dictated that anyone with leprosy was essentially to be banished from society, treated almost literally as a dead person. They were forced to tear their clothes as one in mourning. They weren't to be touched for fear of the disease spreading. And so what would happen if you had leprosy and you were around other people is that you had to shout out in a loud voice, unclean, unclean, to keep them away from you. We see this in the book of Leviticus. There's a whole bunch of series of rules and laws we find here about leprosy. In chapter 13, it says this. It says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes And let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now let's put some of our COVID restrictions in perspective, doesn't it? But imagine, for just a moment, this being the state of your life. Imagine being cut off from your friends and your family, being fired from your job, unable to worship or do the things that you love, not just for 10 days, but for the rest of your life. This was a life sentence to pain and isolation and living as an outcast. This was to be the rest of their lives until Jesus showed up. And when he showed up, everything changed. And when he showed up, their cries started to change. And they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. Last week, we heard uh, John talk about this description of who enters the kingdom of God. 
He talked about that, that is the poor in spirit that inherit the kingdom. And this is a picture of what it means to be poor in spirit. To be fully aware of the need that you have. And then look at verse 14. What does Jesus do? Just focus on the first four words of that verse. What does it say? When he saw them. When he saw them. Can I pause you here for a minute? before we skip to the miracle and the healing and all the great stuff. Can I pause you here? Because I think for many of us, we need to hear a when he saw them sermon. So you hear these 10 people isolated and forgotten and cast aside by society, treated as if they were already dead. In the world's eyes, there was nobody less important. They have nothing to offer. They have no money. They have no power. They have no influence. There was no one less likely for Jesus who's on his way to Jerusalem, literally walking to his own death to stop and see. But is there anything less surprising that in this moment for Jesus, there was nobody that was more important to him? Nobody mattered more. Of course he saw them. That is what he does. It's what he did back then for them, and it's what he does right now for you. Jesus sees you. He sees your pain. He sees your loneliness. He sees that you feel isolated or separated or alone. He sees you because that's who he is. Someone that sees everybody for who they truly are. Worth dying for precious, made in the image of God. You have not been forgotten. Our Savior sees us, and, and this is the hard part, he calls us to be the type of people that sees the people that nobody else does. He calls us to be the type of people that don't live lives that are so busy that we don't have any time to care for anybody else. This is to be our lives to care and to love. He stops and he sees them and then he says something really interesting. Go back to verse 14. It says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now again, this is where we have to understand just a little bit of context of Old Testament law. Uh, Jesus is actually quoting one of the laws in Leviticus chapter 14 in verse 2. It says, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. And so there's a whole bunch of rules to this. If you want to read more, Leviticus 14 is a great read. Um, But the important thing for our purposes today is that the order of this is what mattered most. It was get clean first and then go to the priest. And so it seems like for us that Jesus has kind of gotten things mixed up a little bit because they are not clean yet, and he's telling them to go. There wasn't a priest in the world that would have seen someone with leprosy. So what is Jesus trying to do here? He's trying to invite them to something. He's trying to invite them into a life of faith. This is what faith does. We spent the whole summer talking about what it means to have faith, how faith is not just a set of beliefs or codes or rules to follow, but rather it is a way of living. Faith is Noah building an ark, not because it started to rain, but because he trusted the one who controls the weather. Faith is Abraham 
leaving his home and his wealth and his security, not because he knew where he was going, but because he trusted the one who called him. It's these 10 people getting up and walking, not because they've already been healed, but because they trusted the one who told them to go. Jesus was calling these people into a life of faith. And by faith, they got up. And by faith, they took that first step. And by faith, they saw that as they went, everything changed. Their skins started to heal. They started to feel again. And by faith, they were cleansed and purified and made whole, not by their own strength, but by their obedience to the one that they called Master. And this is what the gospel proclaims, that to be a follower of Jesus is not get clean first and go to God second. No, it is a life of faith that I go to God and I trust in his power to make me whole. We don't have to have it all together to go to God. That's the beauty of the gospel. All we have to do is recognize that we are in need of God's mercy just like these ten. That we can experience what Romans 10 teaches us, that all who cry out to him will be saved. That we would trust in his power. That we would walk in obedience. This is the way of Jesus, something that is built not on our own goodness, but on his. This is what leads us to gratitude. That brings us to the next part of our story, a grateful response. A grateful response. Uh, Last year, um, an article was released by the Harvard Medical School uh, examining the relationship between gratitude and happiness. And what they did was a series of tests that studied all different aspects of life. First, what they did was they took a group of people and they separated them into three sections. And they told them that for 10 weeks, you are to make a weekly practice of different things. And so for this first group, they told them that once a week, we want you to write down things that you are grateful for. The second group was to do the same thing, but with things that bothered them, aggravated them, that drove them crazy. I think I would have done well in that group. I already do that, but it would be for science. That'd be cool. The third group was to write down neutral things, things that were neither great nor terrible. And then after the 10 weeks, they uh, examined these people again, and they found that the first group, the grateful group, came back feeling better about their lives, more optimistic, They exercised more, and they had fewer visits to the doctor than either of the other two groups. Another study was done with married couples, which showed a connection between expressing gratitude to your spouse and not just feeling positive about that person, but also feeling safe enough to share what was wrong. They summed up their findings this way. They said, gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. In other words, modern research, modern science is starting to realize that what's been written here might actually be true. That gratitude makes a difference. Gratitude matters. This is what we see here in in Luke 17. Verse 15 says this, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? 
So, here we see these words that Jesus longs to hear from his people. And this is the thing, if you're going to remember something from this story, I want you to take away. That gratitude is the only proper response to being saved. If someone saves your life, changes you forever, transforms your present and your future, the only proper response is thank you. Here we see four things about the way of gratitude. First, gratitude is meant to be vocalized. It's meant to be vocalized. It's not just something you feel. It is meant to be expressed. Here's a question for you. Do you think the other nine people felt grateful? Do you think in their hearts they felt really thankful that they had been healed? Of course. Their lives have been changed. They never thought that this was possible. But what does Jesus say in verse 18? Did no one else come back? Where are the other nine? Is it just this one? Gratitude is meant to be vocalized. Married couples, haven't you thought about this before? I can't tell you how many times Judy has done something nice for me or for our family, and I've come home and I've seen it, and I felt really grateful. I said, wow, that was nice in my head. (laughs) And then I thought about something else, and then I forgot about it. And somehow she has not learned how to read my mind yet, which is probably good for her. (laughs) But for her, it felt as if I was ungrateful, even though I didn't feel like I was. But gratitude is meant to be shared, vocalized. Kids, students, let me give you some advice. If you want things with your parents to be better, if there are things on your Christmas list that you're not sure if you're going to get, let me give you some advice. Tell your parents thank you more than you currently do. I know you are thankful for them. I know that they know that you're thankful for them. But tell them. And try as best as you can to be sincere. Tell them thank you for what they do for you. Tell them thank you for the next meal they make for you. Tell them thank you for who they are and for all the advice and all the ways that they show up in your life. And just see what happens. See how it impacts your relationship and their mood and their attitude. Gratitude is meant to be vocalized. This, by the way, is why we worship God out loud. It's why we come here and why we sing and why we should sing loudly and boldly because we are grateful for what God has done for us. Because these are the words that God loves to hear from his children. Ten people cried out in prayer. Only one cried out in praise. Let us be people that have praises as loud as our prayer requests. Second, gratitude is meant to be specified. It's meant to be specified. This is verse 15. That this man, seeing that he was healed, Turn back to give praise. In other words, gratitude is not just an overall feeling of being thankful. It is remembering specific things of who Jesus is and what he has done in my life. Recently, I was thinking about this. Uh, before I met my wife, I didn't have any clothes that were nice. I had nothing. My entire wardrobe was just t-shirts of sports teams that I had played for or that I root for, and that was it. If you've ever seen something that you think even looks okay, she definitely bought it. 
But this is what gratitude does. It remembers where I was, and it looks to where I am now, and it gives thanks. Gratitude remembers that I, too, was in need for mercy, that I, too, was made unclean by sin, that I, too, have been made whole by what he has done. Gratitude remembers who I was before God entered my life. It is specified. Third, gratitude is meant to be prioritized. Look again at verse uh, 17, this question that Jesus asks. In verse 17, he says, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? Where are the other nine, Jesus says. Do you know the answer to that question? They were doing, Jesus, what you told them to do. They were going to the priest. They were being, in their mind, obedient to your instructions. But remember what going to the priest would accomplish. It would get them everything that they wanted. Their old life, re-entrance into society, the ability to work and worship and marry. And so here's what I think Jesus is asking of them and of us. Which do you prioritize more? Me or the things that I give you? This man shows us that more than the blessings of God, he wanted the presence of God. This is what the way of gratitude points us to. That we would be thankful not just for what we have, but for who he is. That nothing would be a higher priority than that. And then fourth, gratitude is meant to unify. This is verse 18 as Jesus looks and asks this question that might make us a little bit uncomfortable. Is this foreigner the only one? Now, there's a way to read that, isn't there, where, where Jesus seems a little bit prejudiced. There's a way to see that where it seems like he's thinking less of or looking down on or, or didn't consider a Samaritan to be equal with a Jewish person. Is that what's going on? Is that who Jesus is? Or is Jesus doing what he so often did throughout his ministry? using people's assumptions to show them something different and better and more beautiful about his kingdom. That the people that you think are least likely to be invited are actually the ones that will enter first. He talks about this back in uh, Luke chapter 4. This is towards the beginning of his ministry um, where he references a story that's actually found back in 2 Kings chapter 5. The story where a Syrian man named Naaman, another foreigner, is healed of leprosy. And so in Luke 4, he says this, There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. In other words, Jesus is showing us that what matters most is not your heritage, or how much you know, or where you are from, or if you grew up going to church, or any of that. What matters most is your heart towards God. What matters most is what the Samaritan understood. Do you see Jesus clearly? And the proof of that understanding of who Jesus is is found in his gratitude. That I was one way, and now I am not, and Jesus, you are the difference. And gratitude is the only proper response to being saved. This is what the way of gratitude looks like. 
to live a life that is marked by vocalized and specified and prioritized and unifying thanksgiving to God no matter what. What do we have to be grateful for? This brings us to the last thing. We'll close with this. A true healing. A true healing. Let me read the last verse of this story. Verse 19. He said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. What an interesting thing to say. What a maybe confusing thing to say for those of us that are paying attention. Hasn't he already made him well? Hasn't he already healed him? Why is he doing this again? Here's what's important for us to see uh, in this story. That this word that Jesus has just used for made well is different than any other word we've seen in this story. It's different than the word for cleanse, and it's different than the word for healed. It's a word that has nothing to do with the state of his skin and everything to do with the state of his soul. It's the same word that we see in John chapter 3 in verse 17. Now, we all know John chapter 3 verse 16, don't we? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But here's verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's that word, saved, the same word for made well. In other words, because of his faith, this one man was made clean in a way that the other nine were not. Not just outer healing, but inner healing. That his soul has been made well with God. Why do you think that is? Why such an incredible gift for such a simple act? Is the lesson here that we better be grateful if we want to be saved? Or is Jesus, again, showing us something more about his kingdom? Here's what I believe happened in this story. That just as Jesus saw these ten people in a way that nobody else did, this one man saw Jesus in a way that none of the other nine did. He saw him for who he truly was. He saw as he walked that as he was healed, he recognized something that nobody else recognized. That the true gift was not physical healing. And the true gift was not being restored back into society. The true gift was time spent with Jesus himself. A relationship with God. This is why it matters that we are people of gratitude today. Not just because it's good for us. Not just because it's almost Thanksgiving and someone's going to ask us at the dinner table what we're thankful for. Because gratitude is one of the clearest signs that we truly understand the gospel. I know for many of us, we are in the midst of a challenging and difficult season, and it feels like we have nothing to be grateful for. It feels like everything is either loss or or grief or stress or anxiety. But this is what the story teaches us today. That the way of gratitude transcends circumstances and relationships and the state of our career and the state of our family and even our own health. The call to be grateful is not just something we do when everything is going well. True gratitude 
Gratitude that sees God clearly. Gratitude that this one man shows us is rooted in something far greater than that. In the knowledge that no matter what life throws at me, even if I lose everything, as long as I have Jesus, I have something to be grateful for. Because I once was dead and now I am alive. Because I have been transformed and made new in a way that nobody else could. Because I have been promised an eternity with my Savior. Gratitude is not something we tack on to the end of a holiday meal, not just something we say after a fun trip, not just something we do after a good quarter. It is our calling. As followers of Jesus, too, as First Thessalonians puts it, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, this is how we want to end our service together today by taking time to remember what it is and who it is that we have to be grateful for. Not just because it's almost Thanksgiving and not just so that you live a happier life, but because gratitude is part of what it means to live in the way of Jesus. So what we're going to do is this. I'm just going to lead us in just a moment in a guided gratitude reflection. I'm going to give you just a series of prompts to ask you to consider in different parts of your life what you have to be grateful for. And so we'll do this for a few moments. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. If you want to close your eyes, bow your head, if you want to kneel or stand, whatever you want to do to enter into a space of gratitude, you're invited and welcome to do that now. And so let's just pause for just a moment. Slow down your mind. Consider for you in your life, what God has done and who he is. Think about the relationships in your life. Thank God for the people he's given you who have pointed you to Jesus. Thank him for those who have spoken truth to you, even if it was hard to hear. Thank him for those people in your life who have stood by you and believed in you even when you did not believe in yourself. Now think about the circumstances in your life. Thank him for the blessings he's given you, the way that he continues to provide for your needs. Thank him for the opportunities he's given you to grow in your faith, to become more like him. Thank him for the challenges that he has helped you to face and overcome. Thank him, if you can, 
for even the painful circumstances that you would not have chosen, but through which he has revealed his grace and his strength to you. Finally, focus your thoughts on Jesus himself. Thank, you, thank him for loving you and pursuing you even when you have run from him. Thank him for his unending mercy and grace that covers all your sin. Finally, thank him for what he has done on the cross, that he has given you new life, a new promise forever. Thank you, Jesus, for all that we have to be grateful for. Amen. Well, as always, if we can be praying for you, we'd be honored to do so. Our prayer team will be up the front here in just a moment. Thanks to those of you that give, that join us in generosity. You're encouraged to do so. If this is your church home, we have generosity boxes in the back on your way out. For today's benediction, I want to read to you that verse from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Go in this truth. It says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Go in that thankfulness today. Amen.